Well, good morning. My name is Katie Pesson. I serve as the executive minister here at Windsor Road, and I'll be preaching this morning. Um, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I thought I'd start with some tea. Um, it's been like a stressful summer in my house. Is summer stressful for you? I thought it was supposed to be relaxing, but we've been traveling a bit. My kids are getting ready to start school. My son starts kindergarten this fall. <sighs> I'm in grad school. I've taken a summer class, and so my paper is due. Um, whew, I just feel a little busy, and sometimes a cup of peppermint tea is just the right thing. Um, if I'm being rude, would anyone else like some tea? I have, I have three more cups. Liz, would you like some tea? Come on up, grab some tea here. Let me, Rachel, will you help me bring some tea to some folks this morning? Thank you. Who else wants some tea? Anybody? Delaney, come on up here. Grab a cup of tea. I got one more. Who else wants some? Anybody? Anybody? Come on up. Can someone bring Connie some tea? Rachel, will you bring Connie some tea? Thank you so much. Here you go. Bring that over to Connie over there. Thank you. Whew. Anybody else feel just a little stressed this morning? It's okay, you can admit it. Um, it's actually pretty well documented that we are stressed out as a people. In the last few months, I've heard about three growing trends about how stressed out we are. Um, this week, I, I heard about time scarcity. It's not a new thing, but I just heard about it this week. Time scarcity is when you feel like you don't have enough time to get things done. Hmm. That's good. Um, so you might have enough time, you just feel like you don't. Time scarcity is feeling like you don't have enough time. That's increasing. Uh, the other thing I learned about a couple months ago is something called presenteeism. Have you heard of presenteeism? Presenteeism is like the opposite of absenteeism. So people are coming to work even though they might be mentally or physically unable to actually be productive. They just feel like they need to be there for one reason or another. In Japan, they actually had to come up with a word um, for people who are literally working themselves to death. Something happens where people are working extremely long hours, not eating enough, and experiencing high levels of stress, and people die from a heart attack or from a stroke. Karoshi is what that's called. Now, the things I read didn't suggest why these trends are increasing, um, though they gave some guesses. It could be that our work hours in general are increasing. People are working longer hours. Um, for some of us in lower income families, we have to work two or three jobs to try and make ends meet because wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living. Some people don't have enough sick days at their jobs. Um, and some of us might work in places where we feel like we're gonna be penalized for even taking our sick days, uh, like whether um, explicitly or implicitly we'll be punished for missing work for any reason. I share all of these really depressing things with you to tell you that if you feel stressed out, you're not alone. We are, as a people, stressed out. I think that's why um, the words of David in Psalm 23 have resonated with me the last year. Um, this is a familiar psalm to a lot of us, um, but I've been really sitting, it, sitting in it for the last year, and so we're gonna talk about it today. Psalm 23 is on page 458 in the Bibles in the chair pockets. We say this every week, we mean it every week. If you don't have a Bible to call your own, you can put your name in that one and take it home and call it yours. So the first part of Psalms, uh, the Psalms is divided up into five books. The first book we know for sure was written by David. We're pretty sure about that. 
Uh, And over the Psalms that David writes, uh, we see a lot of his prayer life with God. He says he desires to be with God, he loves God's law, he praises God's name, and he recounts God's mighty works. The same David also accuses God of hiding, declares that the evil have won, and asks God why he's taking so long to bring justice. In Psalm 22, just before the one we're going to read today, David asks God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And then closes with a declaration that he's going to praise God anyway. And then comes Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a psalm of radical trust and contentment. Unlike in a lot of psalms, in Psalm 23, David doesn't ask God for anything. This psalm is just a psalm declaring God's goodness from one who's trusted in him. Again, I know we've heard it a lot. You maybe heard it in the context of funerals pretty often, um, but I think it has some words for us among the living. And so we're going to read that today. Let's read it together, will we? The, The words will be on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This psalm tells us in no uncertain terms that if we trust the care of God, our shepherd, we will be content. We will have peace. We will stay standing firm through whatever life brings our way. This psalm carries the same sentiment of what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does your heart need that this morning? Does your heart need what David describes in this psalm? My guess is for many of us, the words of this psalm do not reflect our current everyday reality. As I sat with the psalm this week, um, I started thinking about why not? I know all of this is true. Why not? Why isn't my life all the time marked by this kind of contentment and peace? Well, as I said earlier, this psalm is a psalm of trust, of trust. David has been through the worst life has to offer, and he's found that God is trustworthy through it all. I wonder if for many of us, the core of our problem is we're not sure if we can really trust God to be our shepherd. We're not sure that if we hand ourselves fully over to his care, we'll be safe And so we busy ourselves with a flurry of anxious activity and anxious thought 
living out our theology that it's up to us to solve our problems. And I think there's even a reason for this. Um, in ancient Israel and in ancient Near East, all over the place, a shepherd was often a term used to describe a king, a metaphor for a king or for a ruler. In 2 Samuel 5, when God is talking to David, he says, you will be a shepherd for my people, Israel. In other writings in the ancient Near East, we see this term shepherd show up too. Many of you have probably heard of Hammurabi's Code, this very famous like ancient law system. In the intro to that, Hammurabi, the king, is called a shepherd as well. So it's not just ancient Israel, God's people, but everywhere that term was used to describe a leader. And I wonder if our problem is this, that all the way back in ancient Israel, all the way up till today, we have a lot of examples of leaders who use their authority to serve themselves instead of the people that they're supposed to be caring for. In Ezekiel 34, God accuses Israel's leaders of being bad shepherds. He says, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Interestingly, Pink Floyd said basically the same thing. Um, <laughs> On their 1977 Animals album, they released a song called Sheep that is sort of a scathing rewrite of Psalm 23. You can see some of those words here. Pink Floyd describes a shepherd as a self-serving capitalist whose only concern for the sheep is the money it will make for him. And unfortunately, that's not even just true outside the church. We've seen too many times, too many examples of pastors entrusted with caring for a flock using their authority and influence as a pastor for themselves instead of for the sheep. And so is it any wonder that we struggle to trust our shepherd, God? Is it any wonder we struggle to trust his leadership of our lives? When everywhere we look, we see disappointing examples of shepherds that don't measure up, who don't live up to their calling. Too often, the more we learn about a leader increases the likelihood of finding out something that will disqualify them. Our experience tells us that people with power and authority and influence are too often not to be trusted. So then how do we experience the contentment of David if we struggle to trust that God, our leader, our king, is different? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Today, I want to talk about three reasons that we can trust the care of God, our shepherd. Three reasons I believe God is not like others with authority who misuse it. Three reasons that God, when we know him more and more, measures up. He holds up. So the first reason that we can trust the care of God, our shepherd, is that God always gives us what we need. The first few verses declare this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now those of us from the Midwest may have a different picture of green pastures than David had, okay? So here in the Midwest we have like green fields with grass as tall as me. 
in Israel, it's quite rocky, quite dry. And so shepherds, as they tend their sheep, have to walk along hillsides and these long paths where the, the moisture from the Mediterranean has brought over just enough to let little tufts of grass grow out here and there between the rocks. So grazing is an all-day, on-the-move kind of activity. For more food, we keep moving. So to lie down declares an incredible trust that your next meal is taken care of. It's quite remarkable, actually, to suggest that sheep lay down. Philip Keller uh, wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he says in his book that sheep lay down when they're satisfied. He said, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. And so this picture here in Psalm 23 is a picture of trust, contentment, full bellies, knowing there's more nearby, knowing the shepherd is right there. The shepherds never let them starve and never will. And David even tells us how he's certain that God will continue to provide for him. Well, God's name is at stake. Verse 3 says this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I think, again, those of us who grew up in kind of Western countries, we might miss the significance of for his name's sake. I read this week um, a Nigerian theologian and pastor named David Adamo. And he talks about how in many African countries, in African culture, names represent the totality of who a person is, including his or her power, character, and honor. He went on to explain that in the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria, names are often theophoric, meaning they say something about God. And then people are fully expected to live up to the meaning of their name. I thought this was a really cool sermon illustration, um, but I wanted to make sure it was true before I said it to you guys. Um, so I asked my friend Ibu, Ibu and Abiola, uh, our members here at Windsor Road. Abiola sings up here. He introduced us to the Yoruba song, Baba, that we sing around here. Um, they're from the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria. And I asked um, Ibu about this, and she explained that, yes, that is exactly how they named their children. So their two children's name, their first son is named Ire Olua. Ire Olua means the goodness of God. And so when they had Ire, they felt God's goodness at providing them for, with a child. He didn't have to, but he did. He blessed them. And so they named Ire the goodness of God. And when Ife Olua came along, her name means the love of God. They again felt this beautiful love of God that he chose to give them their beautiful girl, Ife. And so when Ibu and Abiola named their children, it wasn't just like, that's a cute name, like maybe we do sometimes. For them, there's a declaration of trust and what God will continue to do for their children because of what their names are. So Ire and Ife, their names mean the goodness of God, the love of God. Their parents fully expect that their entire lives will be marked by the goodness and the love of God. That God's goodness and love will follow them all the days of their lives. And that they will be the goodness and love of God to the world around them. Names matter. Names have weight. And in this psalm, God's name is shepherd. And so he's going to do what shepherds do. He's going to be a good shepherd. He's going to live up to his name. So this psalm reminds us that just like a sheep that lays down, we can trust that day by day God will provide for us. 
Even our daily experience of having needs and seeing them met is a way God, day by day, trusts us, or encourages us to trust him. So when we're hungry and we have food, we feel alone and a friend shows up. We're tired and we get sleep. Every day, our needs and our needs being met is how God helps us trust him. Sometimes his provision looks like a Midwest green pasture, and it's a lot. It's abundant. It's more than enough. Sometimes his provision might just look like grass on the side of a hillside in Israel, just enough green grass to get us through today, but he will provide what's needed. And this allows our souls to rest. Quite often, I have experienced God's provision through other people. Maybe you have too. I grew up in a single home. Um, Money was often tight, a single parent home. Money was often tight. Um, My little brother one time broke his arm at church jumping off a couch um, when he was in junior high. So if you have junior high boys, you can guess what they're maybe doing right now, jumping off the furniture somewhere. Um, But so my little brother jumped off a couch at church, broke his arm, and my mom raced to come pick us up from church and take us to the hospital. Um, I think he was in an ambulance. And you know that when you're in in financial difficulty, every crisis begs the question, how am I going to pay for this? And so for my mom, it was no different. How are we going to pay for this? We knew that the insurance was going to cover pretty much everything except for a $50 copay for the ambulance ride. But again, when you're in financial need, $50 might as well be $500 or $5,000 because you don't have it. So we get my brother fixed up at the hospital. He gets his arm all wrapped up. We head home. My mom realizes as we're driving home that she just like left the house open. She didn't lock any doors. She's like, I don't even think I closed the front door or the garage. I just left. And I was like, oh, mom, I'm sure it's fine. No one's going to just walk into our house. It's okay. Well, we got home and found out that that is exactly what had happened. Someone had, in fact, just walked into our house and left an envelope on our kitchen counter. And the envelope said, from someone who cares about Brian. And inside that envelope was exactly $50. Exactly what we needed. Not more, not less. Exactly what we needed. And I could tell you story after story of how I've seen God come through. Story after story of how I've seen God provide. My guess is you have stories too. Do you have stories of when you've been in need and you see God meet that need? I think quite often around here, I see you meeting each other's needs. God uses us to meet each other's needs. I see it when people have babies, when people are moving in or out of town, when someone's lost a job, when someone's had surgery, when death happens. I see you all show up. You show up. You come with meals, with gift cards. You watch babies. You clean houses. You pack boxes. You re-roof houses. You all show up. And the beautiful thing is you are modeling for your friend the love and care of the shepherd. You are showing others that they can trust God, the shepherd, and his care by being his hands and feet. If we're leaders in the room, if you're a leader, if you have influence in any room, I have a question for you. I'm going to splash in your Kool-Aid just a little bit. How are you modeling the care of your shepherd to those you lead? If you're a boss, what kind of culture are you creating in the organization you lead? 
Does the single mom in your organization have enough sick days? Or is she worried every time her child has a fever that she's going to lose her job? Do people feel afraid in your office to work a reasonable number of hours? Or are they afraid they'll be punished for trying to have healthy boundaries? At the bottom of this all is the question, does your behavior show your employees that you trust God to provide for you without overworking yourself or your employees? Because this psalm, this psalm tells us that we can trust God. We can trust God to take care of us because he always gives us what we need. The second reason we can be content when we trust the care of God our shepherd is because he will give us uh, because he will be constantly present with us. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When David wrote this psalm, he was probably thinking about the valleys between hills, dried up riverbeds called wadi, where shepherds would graze their sheep. It was a great place to graze because all the moisture that had been there for so long made it possible for more greenery to grow there. But it was also dangerous. It was also a vulnerable place because it was a place where other wild animals were coming looking for a meal. It was a place where robbers might be on the lookout to steal the sheep. It was a place where if it started to rain, they might be caught in a flash flood. And this other phrase here, the, sh the shadow of death, literally that fr phrase is translated deep darkness. Deep darkness, that phrase is used over and over in the Old Testament. In Job, deep darkness means sin. Deep darkness means death. In Jeremiah, deep darkness means danger. And it means deep despair. In Amos, the this, this same phrase, deep darkness, is used to describe the condition of being without God. So this psalm, friends, is not saying that if you just trust God, everything will be fine. I'm not telling you to fire your therapist or stop taking your anti-anxiety medication. This psalm, in fact, promises that we will have seasons of deep darkness when we follow God. What this psalm is saying, though, is that we can be assured that in those seasons of deep darkness, God will go with us. Our God, you see, is a with us kind of God. Over and over in Scripture, we see his promise to be with us. This is not a God that reigns on high, staying as distant as he can from his people. This is a God who is a with us God. In Genesis 28, when God calls Jacob and tells him the plans that he has to bless all nations through him, he encourages him by telling him, I will be with you. In Exodus 3, when God tells Moses he has to go tell Pharaoh to let all the people go from Egypt, Moses is afraid. And God comforts him by saying, I will go ahead of you. I will be with you. In Isaiah, Messiah is prophesied. Messiah wears the name Emmanuel, God with us. And in Matthew 28, Jesus' last words to his disciples were that I will be with you to the end of the age. God's presence is promised to us over and over and over in Scripture. And the God that goes with us, friends, that God is a strong God. God. Sheep were comforted because they knew their shepherd was capable. 
I think sometimes when we read this psalm, we see like a picture of like a super chill shepherd guy like in flowing robes, kind of casually strolling with a smile on his face next to his sheep. And we think, oh, how nice. That's not how David described being a shepherd, by the by. David was going to go fight Goliath, and Saul did not want him to fight Goliath. Saul thought, oh, no, you're going to get hurt. And, and David said, okay, I'm a shepherd. I've killed a bear. I killed a lion. I grabbed it by its beard. Shepherds are tough. Shepherds are tough. Shepherds are not the precious moments shepherd boy figurey that we put out at Christmas. Okay, shepherds are like Chuck Norris. Okay? When Chuck Norris does a push-up, he isn't lifting himself up. He's pushing the earth down. Wow. Death once had a near Chuck experience. Whew. That is our shepherd. The tenacity, the strength, and the commitment of the shepherd is the reason David has no fear. He knows who his shepherd is. The idea of God's presence with us is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling on a gray day. God's presence brings power, action, ability. God uses his rod and his staff to guide the sheep and to protect them from whatever enemies might appear. Our God is powerful and strong, and no one messes with his sheep. The God who spoke and made light appear is the God who walks with us in the valley. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is the God who promised to be with you always. That is the God who is with us. That is the God in whose presence you have walked your entire life. And you know what? I get it. It takes grit to hang on to that kind of confidence about God in the darkness. It does. But it's possible. I know because I've seen you do it. Every summer I see you conquer your fear of the unknown and get on planes to Peru and Haiti and the Dominican. I've seen you pass up promotions at work because you know it's not what's best for your family. I've seen you walk through a terminal cancer diagnosis and choose to trust your king. And I've watched you as you've stubbornly chosen to believe that God can bring good even from death. I've seen it in you. And that's only possible when we know who our shepherd is, when we trust our shepherd so we can be content, we can trust the care of God our shepherd because he is constantly present with us. The third reason that we can trust the care of God our shepherd is because he welcomes us to his table. Now the things we've talked about so far, protection, provision, those are pretty standard items in the job description of like a king or a ruler. Uh, whether or not they do them, they're still in the job description. Even in Hammurabi's code, in that introduction I referenced earlier, we see this expectation. You can see some of what's in this here. Uh, at that time, Anun Enlil named me to promote the welfare of the people. Me, Hammurabi, the, God devout, uh, the devout God-fearing prince, to cause justice to prevail, to destroy the wicked and evil, that the strong might not oppress the weak. 
Shed's son over the people, when it makes affluence and plenty abound, provides abundance and all sorts of things. Yes, yes, yes. So even for people who are not like following God, for cultures outside of the people of God, providing for, protecting, kind of just standard job description. Now again, our God is different because he actually does those things, because he's actually capable of providing for us. He's actually capable of protecting us way more than any other king or ruler. But God goes a step further. Not only does God, our shepherd king, provide for us and promise to be with us, he invites us to the royal table. He invites us to sit with him. Verse five tells us this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In ancient Israel, the host had an obligation to their guests. When a guest was in your home, it was your job to protect them. Now this is interesting, this psalm, because it gives the picture that the protection is required even maybe from other people at the table. Do you see that? The table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anointing with oil was a way of showing hospitality to an honored guest. So Psalm 23 tells us that God joyfully invites us to sit at his table, to enjoy his provision and protection, and to be a part of the conversation. This is a radical picture of inclusion to the royal table to be invited there, even while some look on who don't think we belong. And not only does this shepherd king invite you to his table, this shepherd sacrificed himself for your right to be there. The phrase shepherd is used of God again in scripture. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life to take our sin in his body on the tree and gave us in exchange his righteousness, gave us the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Have you ever felt on the outside because of your hurt, your habit, your hang-up? Maybe you've been excluded because of the color of your skin or your gender or your age. But God says, you are welcome here. You belong at this table. I want you here. And I will protect your right to be here. That same Chuck Norris God from verse four, he's right here, daring anyone to challenge his right to invite you to sit at his table. First John three says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Brothers and sisters, you are children of God and you belong at his table. And so David ends here by saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, of course. Where else will he go? What other God would provide this? Who knows exactly what we need? Who else keeps their promise to protect us, to be with us? What other ruler welcomes us to the table and then sacrifices themselves to keep us there? What other king chases you down with loving kindness when you wander to bring you back? 
The writer of this psalm is someone who's wrestled with God and found him trustworthy. David declares that because God is a good shepherd, he lacks nothing. He has God's protective and powerful presence with him, so he has no fear. And he's welcomed at God's table over and over and over again. So there's nowhere else he wants to be but in the presence of his trustworthy shepherd and king. Do you trust the care of that shepherd? Do you believe that he will provide for you? That he will go with you? That he will welcome you to his table? Do you believe that? Maybe you've never laid your life at the feet of the good shepherd. Maybe today is the day for you to open your hands to him and say, God, I am tired of trying to take care of myself. I need your help. Maybe today is the day you hand yourself over to his control. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you're in a season where you have snatched back your worries from him. You've started to bear the burdens again. And you need Peter's reminder to continually cast your cares on him because he cares for you. In the next few minutes, we're gonna sing. And I wanna invite you to ask God to help you remember where he's been faithful. To help you call up times where you have found that he has provided, that he's been with you, that he's welcomed you. And then to help you believe that he will do it again. Let's ask him to help us remember how good he is and to surrender our, our anxiety and our fear back to him. Brothers and sisters, there is no shepherd like our God. There's no one else who knows your needs before you ask. There's no one else whose very presence makes the darkness flee. There's no one else who will sacrifice himself for your forgiveness and then invite you to sit at the king's table. There's no one like our God. So where else will we go? We can trust the care of God, our shepherd. We can be content. We can have peace. We can say with David, I lack nothing. I will not fear. I will stay here. Let's pray.